Hey there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 404, 404 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. You know, 404 is the Atlanta area code, and so the Atlanta boy is hosting this time. And, you know, I, I'm going to freely admit, we, we've, we've had some podcasts lately where one or another of us has been missing. We are all in the house for this one because the NCAA tournament has begun the Duke Blue Devils have played their first game, and we are here to talk about it, as well as looking ahead to the next game. By the way, the most important thing <laughs> for Duke over the next several weeks is play the game and then look ahead to the next game, the next game, and the next one. We want to keep on playing, uh, and that is what we will be doing uh, as the Blue Devils beat Cal State Fullerton. Like I said, I'm Jason. I am joined by Sam and Donald. Sam's in Boston. My friend, how are you doing this morning? I am great. Uh, it is, it's kind of a nasty day here in the Boston area, but uh, very happy that Duke was able to make a laugher out of Cal State, out of the Cal State Fullerton game last night, not out of Cal State Fullerton, the team. They had a wonderful season, of course, but uh, very glad that, that Duke was not one of the, the many uh, high-seeded teams in the first round to, uh, to make things difficult for themselves. And I know that we'll maybe spend just a minute or two talking about Kentucky at some point. So uh, glad that, that that was the case that we were able to, to switch away from this game and, and, and move to the other interesting games last night, as opposed to waiting it out for the first or for the whole 40 minutes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Donald, Donald is in Washington. Uh, did you, I'm sure you enjoyed that contest last night. I sure did. I, for some reason I felt, you know, I woke up on Friday and had the urge to have some barbecue. Not sure why I had that, that rationale, but I decided to hold off to make sure that, you know, we were able to get through the first round and sure enough, we did. So uh, very, very happy to say that we are in the second round and uh, we still have a long way to go, but Sunday's game is going to be a really, really big one. So let's get, let's get to talking about the game on Friday. Absolutely. That uh, folks, just so you know, We'll be recapping the Cal State Fullerton game. We'll take a little break. Then we'll look ahead to what Duke has next against Michigan State, a very, very familiar opponent. And we'll talk about the rest of the bracket. But we start with Duke's 78-61 to 61 victory over Cal State Fullerton. And we start, as we always do, with the headlines. We had a couple headlines from the audience, from the you listeners out there. And remember, when the game ends, send us an email at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. And when you send us that email, include your headline for the game, and maybe it'll be good enough for us to read it. Um, the ones that I'm going to read today, uh, always, the K-Man, David Kerman, comes through. Uh, he hit, said, Devils throw a block party and dial up the D in takedown of the Titans. That is the K-Man's headline, and I think that's a pretty accurate headline. And then I love this one. Paula Anderson wrote to us. You know what her headline was, guys? She said, Whew. That was her entire headline. <laughs> a little I feel sigh, that. A little sigh I feel relief. that. Yeah, yeah. Sigh of relief there from Paula uh, about Duke getting the, uh, the first round victory and avoiding the dreaded 215 upset that some teams have, uh, have fallen prey to. My headline was somewhat similar to K-Man. I have D returns for Duke in workmanlike win. Donald, what is your headline on this contest? So since Cal State Fullerton are the Titans, I went with Solid Devils Slay Titans to advance an NCAA tournament. Pretty simple. Yep. Well done. Well done. And Sam? I had just a laugher at last. You know, I, was, I was it a laugher? It wasn't really. I mean, like, Duke, Duke had a lead throughout. 
but I don't feel like it was. This wasn't a laugher. I'll tell you, I will say, to keep well, working the whole way, you know, sir. So, so maybe, maybe another way to characterize it is that Duke's win probability only, like Duke's lowest win probability of the game was at the tip off. Um, yeah, and yeah. according to Ken mm-hmm. Pomeroy, Duke had a 93.6% chance to win the game at the tip. And it not, it, it didn't only improve from there. Of course, Fullerton went on a, a couple of mini runs, but, uh, but it never actually got worse than that for the entire 40 minutes. And, and given the way we were talking about the team last week after the ACC tournament with the loss to Virginia Tech and after the UNC uh, home finale, I'd say that, that Duke needed one like this. I will agree with that. There's no question about it. A low-stress game where the Blue Devils were in control throughout. And look, we raced out to a 13-2 lead. Um, there, there was there was never a, you know, I think that there were like two possessions. The first two possessions of the game were the only times the whole game where Duke led by less than two possessions. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that. That's that uh, that does make it easier. Uh, so let's talk about the good first. And uh, Sam, I'll come to you. Give me your give me your good from this game. You're allowed to start with anybody, but you're also allowed to start with Jeremy Roach. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had I had notes on both Jeremy Roach and Mark Williams. Uh, so if you want, I'll, I'll do Jeremy Roach first. Jeremy Roach inserted into the starting lineup for the first time in over a month. Uh, he Trevor Keels had supplanted him for a while, and now it appears that that Roach is is back in that spot. It was a I'd say a you know in the in the grand scheme a fairly bold move for Coach K to change the starting lineup at the beginning of the NCAA tournament. Not that something didn't need to be done, right? We we talked about how Duke had been a little bit of a swoon recently, and so something needed to change. But wow, did Jeremy Roach rise to the occasion yesterday against Fullerton? He was much more engaged on offense, uh, made a couple of big shots in this game, and also was an enormous pest on defense. Um, only is credited with one steal. But but disrupted a lot of what Fullerton was trying to do and and made a couple of of neat passes. I think one of the highlights of the game yesterday was Jeremy Roach uh, received a an entry pass where he was like right next to the basket, but was was clearly guarded and dumped it off uh, to now I can't remember it was Paulo or it was Mark Williams, but but turned it into an, a uh, a very key assist. Uh, a really impressive looking assist where he was sort of playing out of position. My, my friend I was watching the game with, and I both reacted to that play. Like, well, I'm not sure that we have, <laughs> that we have seen that setup from Duke yet this year. So that was super cool for, for Jeremy Roach. Uh, clearly, clearly feeling energized about being back in the starting lineup. I'm sure we'll talk uh, about, about Trevor Keels' performance, unfortunately, maybe in the, in, in the bad part, but uh, as far as, as far as Roach is concerned, one of his best performances in weeks uh, and and really displaying the progress that that he has made recently. Yeah, and and the reason I prompted you to talk about Jeremy Roach is that I thought that was the story of the game. Not so much the reason that Duke won, but uh, Jeremy Roach being reinserted into the starting lineup and specifically what he did on defense to me was the story of the game because uh, the, the Duke struggles lately. We, we have talked about it endlessly. Duke's struggles have been on the defensive end of the floor. And in this game, we, we hold Fullerton to just 29% shooting from three, just 37% shooting overall. And, uh, you know, Duke wasn't forcing turnovers. We, we, we started forcing turnovers again. But more importantly than that, Jeremy Roach putting pressure on them in the backcourt, you know, just forcing Fullerton to set things up a little bit further back than they want to ordinarily. 
it just it kept them out, kept Fullerton out of a comfortable offensive set. And that is when Duke is most successful. There, there's sort of two different ways you can be successful on defense as an individual. You can be really quick, with, you know, with good hands and feet, or you can be really strong and be physical. And Jeremy Roach and Trevor Keels are two diametrically different defensive players. Um, Trevor Keels is very strong and, and he keeps you from getting to where you want by using his body to get in your way. He is not super quick. Jeremy Roach, on the other hand, not nearly as strong as Trevor Keels, way quicker with his feet, especially. Um, it fights over screens better than, than uh, Trevor Keels does and, uh, and, and just, you know, is able to pick a, a, an opposing point guard up, you know, all the way at the other end of the floor and, and keep the pressure on them the whole time. That's what Jeremy Roach did in this game. That's something Duke has been sorely missing in, in recent weeks. And it was just really good to, to get it back. Donald, your turn. If you want to do more on Jeremy Roach, fine. If you want to move to Mark Williams, I'm also perfectly fine with that. I'm definitely moving to Mark Williams because it, we, we talked about the perimeter defense. And when Cal State Fullerton went into the, into the paint, they had no favors there either because Mark Williams led the block party, as, as K-Man said. Uh, Ten blocks for this team, five of them by Mark Williams. Mark Williams was great on offense as well. 15 points, seven rebounds, five assists along with those five blocks. So he, he literally did everything on the court when he was in the game. He played 31 minutes as well, which is something, Jason, you talked about the efficiency and effectiveness of Mark Williams being in the, when he's in the game, 31 minutes is, is I think his, to, to date his biggest output on the season, as far as minutes. So I, I think, again, he was very efficient when he was in the game, both on offense and defense on defense. He had a couple of ones where he blocked a shot and came down with the rebound in the same hand. And they're very like subtle man moves, right? They, they weren't things that you kind of looked at and go, oh, that was interesting. It wasn't demonstrative at all. It was just one of those things where he was like, hi, I'm the biggest guy on the court. And when the ball goes up, it's going to come back down to my hands. And I'm just going to take two stats as I run down to the end of the court. And run he did. This is where I think he excelled, right? He would get the rebound or he'd get the block shot. And then he would sprint to the other end of the court. And at many times he was in a position where we could reward him for the defense that he had on the other end of the floor. That's what I want to see from him, that kind of mojo, that motor. We're going to need that in the next round, and, and especially on defense. But the fact that he's able to block a shot, grab a rebound, outlet the pass, and then beat everybody down the floor to get in position is something that I really appreciated from him. Uh, you know, regarding Mark Williams, I, I talked about the, the keys that I had for Duke in the postseason was his effectiveness. Mark Williams had 15 points, seven rebounds, five blocks, and five assists. Just the third time in Duke history, third time in Duke's history that someone had a 15, five, five, and five game. Again, 15 points, seven rebounds, five blocks, five assists. The other two players who had a 15, five, five, and five game, Mike Jaminski and Danny Ferry. That is some really good company to be in. I mean, that's good. It's been a minute. (laughs) Yeah, right. Since since Duke had a game like that. (laughs) It has been right. It has been since my class, Danny Fair. I was going to say that class. that's in the uh, that's in the pre Sam Klein era in in the pre Sam Klein's existence in life. Era. Or... Yeah, uh, I just feel like the whole game has slowed down for Mark Williams so much lately. The five assists to me, you know, there was such great recognition on Mark Williams's part of you know, okay, I've got the ball, but here are my uh, here are my teammates, and I know where they are. I know where they're supposed to be. I know where I am. I mean, just 
to see him blossoming like this and the the five blocks by the way it's laughable that it's only five there needs to be a statistic for the number of times cal state fullerton went in the lane and went oh wait (laughs) mark williams is back here i am getting out of here as quickly as i can i do not want to be here jason (laughs) i think i want to say like of the first eight possessions that cal state fullerton had like five of them ended in blocks and they still were like oh we're still going to go to the lane and they'd go and they see the seven foot one inch tall tree and they're going to go, mm, nah, I'm just going to pass it I'm off. Good. You take it. No, you take it. No, you take <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it, I mean, they were flustered. And that's how we got out to that that big lead at the beginning of the game. And and of course, you know, it's worth noting Cal State Fullerton, the way they want to play is to get the ball inside to their big man, Anasiki. And uh, the, but they were afraid of the long arm of the law from Mark Williams. Sam, you got anything else on Mark? Yeah, just that I... Uh, as as you said, um, continue to be impressed with the with the progress late in the season. I, I think we all know that the talent is there for Mark Williams, but there was a a a drive uh, yesterday that um, th- that shows that that he's got that that extra gear. And I, th- I think when we're uh, when we're concerned about sort of what he looks like at the next level, one of the things is like, is he just going to be like tough and big enough to to hack it against other NBA bigs? Yesterday was a great indicator of that, and hopefully Duke has a few more games where he can continue to prove it. All right, we continue to round through the good here, and uh, Donald, uh, ball movement. I-, I know you love that. I-, I-, I love it as well. It is like your favorite Your favorite stat is, you know, n- assist percentage. So take us through that. I mean, it- it's, my, it's one of my favorite stats because it's something that indicates how well we are moving the ball around on offense. And we had 21 assists last night on 30 made baskets. That, my friends, I'm not going to do the math, but you could do it at home. That's a great percentage. That's what you want to see. That's the type of ball movement that you want to see. 21 assists on 30 made baskets means, I mean, again, Mark Williams had five assists. The biggest guy on the court had five assists. That is indicative of how well we were moving the ball around for most of the game. I think there was only a couple of times where we really had, you know, stagnated, but most of those were just, there wasn't a lot of, of people just taking guys ISO off the dribble. It was a lot of guys getting into position and finding their teammates for quick baskets. And, and by the way, Donald, you know, we raced out to that 13 to two lead based on, we had five assists on our first five baskets. I mm-hmm. just love, and it was when it, it, early on, it was mostly Wendell Moore, by the way, Wendell, had another uh, 10, five and five game. He had 13, six and six, only two turnovers, hit three of four from three, five of eight overall. Wendell, you know, we've come to expect this from him, but what a great all around game. But uh, sorry, you continue where you were going. I, I just want to jump in. I, I, I love that we had five assists in our first five made baskets. Yeah, I did too. And honestly, I think the assist came from everywhere. You mentioned Wendell Moore had six assists. Paulo Bancaro, we'll talk about him in a little bit. He had four assists. Mark Williams, five assists. Jeremy Roach, five assists. Trevor Keels, even had an assist like 21 assists is a lot of passing the ball around and also it means that we're making baskets off of that ball movement too which means guys were in great positions to take open shots and if you noticed last night there are very few shots that we were taking that were contested except if they were in the lane most of the shots on the perimeter or around the free throw line were very much wide open shots because we were able to move guys into position. Everyone was moving around the floor and the ball was moving too. And they got someone into position where they could take an easy shot and you're going to shoot 50% if you're going to you know, be open half the time. So I, I like what I saw from that. Again, in the preview, we talked about how this game 
the ball movement had to be indicative of what we saw in the three games we played against Syracuse. And we saw that Kyle State Fullerton was a team that loved to give up shots off of the pass. And we did that last night. We saw that and executed that very, very well. And Donald, I know you want to talk a little bit about Paulo Bancaro. You teased that a second ago. Uh, what did you think of his game? He was very aggressive on offense. And I liked, I mean, we've talked about a lot of the times where he has not been aggressive in getting to the lane or getting to the rack and making baskets. He was very effective at doing that last night. He was seven for 14 from the floor. So 50%, that's pretty, that's pretty good. 17 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, and two blocks. Again, all over the place on offense, on defense. He, he really wanted to assume himself as the main on the floor. And early on in the game, Jason, you know, part of that 13-2 run that we opened up with, a lot of that was Wendell finding Paulo Bancaro and Paulo Bancaro taking it to the rack or shooting a couple threes. Again, he was, he was, he, there was only a couple of shots where I said, hey, you know, that probably wasn't the best shot to take at the time. Uh, but a lot of his shots there, I mean, he was seven for 14. One of them was where he threw it and it, and he did a layup and it went off the rim and he just grabbed it and dunked it in the, in the same like catch essentially. So that was amazing. Uh, <laughs> that was great. So like, I'll take that out of the equation, but there are definite times where he looked to assert himself on offense, but also what was in the flow of the offense. And that's the Paul Bancaro we want. We want a guy who's going to go for 17. He's going to, you know, contribute on defense as well. And I think he was active. There was definite times where he would shoot the ball and make a basket. Cal State Fullerton would have to take a timeout. And he was the guy encouraging guys to let's go. Let's let's ratchet it up. Let's let's pick the tempo. Let's pick the level up and play Duke basketball. And I think he did that last night. Uh, so I got a question, a stat question for both of you guys. There are some funky stat things in this game. Um, uh, Duke and Cal State Fullerton, neither team missed a free throw. They went 17 of 17 on free throws, which is kind of a, a weird, um, you know, I, I, I tried to look to see how often that kind of thing happens in an NCAA tournament game. I couldn't find it, but I thought it was sort of interesting. Uh, another weird stat thing, Duke was, Duke shot 15 of 29 from the field in the first half and 15 of 29 from the field in the second half. I noticed that too. Yeah. That's kind of, I was just sort of like, oh, that's kind of, that's kind of cool, you know? Very consistent. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, so the weird stat thing I have is, does AJ Griffin deserve an assist for the time he tried to toss a lob? It got blocked back to him and he ended up making uh, the layup. But oh, the dunk, is, is yeah, that, like an assist to himself. Yeah, an assist to himself. Is that possible? It was That's a very called, athletic play, regardless of, of, of how it was credited. That's called playing in 4D, right? And not three dimensional. He was four dimensional. He was like, I know what this guy's going to do. And it, the funny thing was, is no, he, he didn't. <laughs> I mean, he did it. But here's the funny thing, though, is that footwork is everything he found a way like as soon as he threw the ball he kind of took just a slight step into the middle not a big one just a slight step just to get in front of that guy that was right next to him and because of that when the ball was tipped back over he's the first person there so he goes okay well not only can i grab this i know the guy that is guarding me is behind me and he can only all he could do was watch me dunk this and that's exactly what happened i think that's just i mean it may be where he didn't know the ball was going to come back to him but just that slight footwork that slight step to get in front of his man is what made the difference in that in that possession he got the basket out of it because he was in front of his man and that's the smallest detail that earn, ends up being successful for this team so i i'm gonna move us now from the good to the bad because there, this you know it wasn't a perfect game there, there are things that duke still needs to work on i'm gonna start really quickly it's not a big thing but i just did want to mention the shot selection, and I, I'm, I'm doing it now because Donald was talking about Paulo Bancaro, 
and and I I I did feel like Paulo was taking those bad shots. <laughs> uh, he took five shots outside of the lane, but inside the three point line, he only hit one of them, and that was like a ten footer. It was like the shortest one he took. All the ones he took, like longer than ten feet, didn't go in. I, I, it is it is painful to watch at times for me. I'm I'm such a huge efficiency fan, and Paulo takes these shots that that frankly are inefficient and didn't hit any of them this game. Um, but I've come to accept that that's just sort of part of his game. And I think part of his ability to drive and get inside is that teams have to respect him when he's outside. And, and so, but, but it was still, I don't love to see it. So that's, the and it wasn't just him, right? It, it wasn't no, just it him. There was like, yeah. there was, like, again, I think the times where an offense, we were stagnant is where we were reduced to making, taking those shots, right? Like the, the, the Cal Singler twos that I call them because Cal Singler made a, made a lifetime out of making those and everyone thought they could be Kyle Singler and now they can't. But I, I say there was a few times where we remained stagnant because of that. But again, I think what was great about Paulo is that, and we're Duke fans, we're going to nitpick about this, right? Because we want our teams to be great and successful and everything. And even though it was a solid victory, there's things that we can always work on. I think for Paulo, he recognized Jason after he had a few of those that, he wasn't making them. And then he decided to become more aggressive on the inside. He went in, he got dunks, he got layups, he got and ones. He took a couple of threes from the corner and we were off and rolling again. And I think at that point he realized, hey, I just got to be more aggressive. These guys can't stop me. And that's the confidence he needs to keep going. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I admit and I know there will be a game where he will go off from those, you know, on those outside exactly. shots. We've seen it before. I'm I'm here for that game. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to because if he does that, that means we're that means we're destroying somebody. Exactly, exactly. And 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 look, it's never going to be perfect in terms of the uh, right in right. terms of the shot selection, right? I, I'm 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 I don't want to be too picky on this, especially because it's not like Duke. Maybe in the in the second half, there was like a couple minutes there where Fullerton was like starting to to push back, but it's not like. Um, it, it's not like Duke was so threatened that they were like taking bad shots in desperation. This was one of those where, look, there, there's a little bit more uh, leeway for guys like Bancaro to, to, to take those, those weirder shots. So yes, it, it's not ideal in a game where may, like if Duke was only winning by four or five points the whole way, but, but given the, the makeup of this game, I'm sort of less uh, inclined to, to harp on it. Yeah. And um and it's worth noting, Donald said probably the most important thing about this shot selection, which is that it felt like Paulo kind of recognized that it wasn't working for him, the, those outside shots, and 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 that he said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else. And and to me, that's the important thing. If it's if it's not happening, don't keep going to that well. Find some other way that you can help the team. And speaking of helping the team, Sam, I'm gonna come to you on this. Um I want to talk about Trevor Keels just for a moment because his uh, in a game where everyone on the team had a plus minus in the teens or twenties, Trevor Keels plus minus was just plus three over 20 minutes of playing time. Uh, he, you know, I don't know whether he didn't take his demotion from starter to, to coming off the bench well, or if he wasn't playing well and that's why he was coming off the bench, probably a little combination of both, but I thought Trevor Keels was completely out of sorts on offense four turnovers for Trevor. Um, Duke only had 13 turnovers on the game. Trevor had four of those 13 in just 20 minutes of playing time, far and away 
most turnovers of anybody on on the team. Sam, what would you know? What just? Yeah, it was weird because I thought he was pressing a little bit, and maybe that is a result of the uh, of the demotion to to being on the bench. I don't know on this team how much it matters if it's if it's Keels coming off the bench or Roach coming off the bench or AJ Griffin who was coming off the bench earlier this season. I don't know how much it matters. Uh, which of those guys is the sixth man as opposed to the fifth man, because they're all going to get minutes, especially if they're playing well. Duke has a really short bench. I was, uh, I was actually a little bit surprised to see Joey Baker in the first half yesterday, given that, you know, we're, we're in the part of the season where, where, uh, where the rotation is going to be as slim as, as coach K likes it to be, which honestly I think is six right on, on this team. Um, you know, Theo John's going to get a few minutes, but if Mark Williams is cooking like he was last night, Theo's not going to get that many minutes. Joey Baker doesn't need to get that many minutes if if Duke is playing well on offense or well enough on offense to beat a team like Cal State Fullerton. So so it was it was disappointing that we we saw such an uneven performance from Trevor Keels. I think we could probably chalk it up to uh, to the demotion and and sort of being in a different uh, role than he's been in recently. I will say that if you think about you know, Duke's basically got the the six starters, right? It's it's yeah, um, yeah. Caro and Williams, uh, Wendell Moore, Jeremy Roach, AJ Griffin, and Trevor Keels. Those guys are the, are basically the, the the six starters, even though you can only have five of them on the floor at a given time. Of that group, Trevor Keels might be the most effective at coming off the bench because he's really strong, he's fast, and he he kind of changes the the game a little bit when he when he comes in when he's playing well. So. It might be possible that, that this is the 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 ideal rotation for Duke, even if it's not ideal for Trevor Keels. And look, if he's looking ahead at the at the NBA and, and draft selection and stuff like that, him coming off the bench right now is not going to have a meaningful impact on on his his draft stock. I think it's about focusing on on what does it take for this team to win the championship. And hopefully today, you know, we're we're recording Saturday morning. Hopefully today he's he's getting a little bit of a mouthful about that. And he's watching the tape and realizing, look, there are things you can improve. We know that you're good enough. And, and he'll come out firing against Michigan state, whether that's in the starting lineup or, you know, five, six minutes into the game. So for Trevor kills, I, I agree with you, Sam. I think he was pressing. And part of that is uh, a stat that my best friend put me on last night. Um, he said that dating back to the Syracuse game in the ACC tournament, Trevor kills has missed his last 11, three pointers. And I think a lot of that success that he had early in the season was because he was effective from three point land. He was, you know, not necessarily making them all, but he was making, you know, four for six, three for six and, and, and doing that consistently. And when that's gone, he f- tries to press by going into the lane. And because of that is where a lot of these turnovers came through, where he was dribbling and lost the ball or tried to pass it to somebody uh, in, in, in an effort to try and make up for the fact that he's not making three. So I think that is where, the situation lies if he can get his confidence back from from the perimeter it may even making one three will help do wonders for his confidence he just needs to get over that that slump that he has from beyond the arc and look we have seen trevor keels be the best player on the floor for duke in multiple games this year there's absolutely no question about that uh he he he's carried this team at times and i think that what coach k Sam talked about the six different starters. I think that Coach K is going to look and see which of those guys, and and really it's among Keels, Roach, and AJ Griffin, which of those guys is having a tough game or which of those guys is playing really great, and that's the one he's going to go with. Just because Trevor Keels played 20 minutes this game 
doesn't mean he's not going to play, you know, 32 in the next game if Trevor's playing really well. Coach K is, is really good at like, okay, this game you're on, you're going to stick around. You're going to play a lot for me. And, oh, if you're struggling a little bit, I've got someone else who can, who can take those minutes. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's a huge deal. I, I, I do want to, you know, as long as you mentioned that this sort of rotation among Keels, Roach, and A.J. Griffin, um, sort of a quiet game from A.J. Uh, you know, he, 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 he hasn't really been hitting his threes lately. Like, I don't know if you, I, I went back and looked over his past six games. A.J. Griffin is just nine of 28. That's 32% over his past six games. It's not terrible. It's not like awful, but it's not good. But he and, was shooting 50% during the regular yeah, season. Exactly. So it's 32%, way less than 50%. And by the way, that 32%, that nine of 28 includes the game against Miami in the ACC tournament where he was four of six. You know, you take out that one game against Miami over the, you know, five of the past six games, AJ Griffin has been just playing bad from three point range. I'm, I'm here for AJ Griffin having another big three point shooting game. <laughs> and again, that's really, confidence too. Just like Trevor yeah. Keels, like he's not seen the ball go in the hole and it's frustrating him. And for, again, short of that play that we talked about for AJ Griffin, he's not the focal point of the offense when he's not making threes, right? Like he's like, he's not going to be a guy where we give the ball to him with 10 seconds left. We go create your own shot. He's a guy that we want to have on the perimeter, maybe slash to the basket at times, but he's not going to be the focal point. So when he's not making his threes again, he starts pressing. And I think those two guys, if we can get them just the confidence of making a couple of three pointers, that'll go a long way for this team. So I had one more bad thing that I think we absolutely positively must discuss. And that's the arena. And this is not, yep. an, insignif- this is not an insignificant problem. And uh, there are two aspects to it. I'll deal with the one that really isn't super important first, and then we'll get to the one that is important. The one that isn't super important is the fact that they completely bollocksed the ticket, the, the uh, ticket, you know, people coming in the arena. I have a friend who was at the game. They got there an hour before the game was going to start. People weren't even being let in yet an hour on. And he said that it was absolute chaos as they started to let people in. Part of the problem was they had a changeover from the previous game. The previous game sort of ended a little bit later than they expected. They, you know, and they, they, they did a little cleanup and stuff like that, where they get everybody out and they clean up a little bit. Well, that whole process took longer than planned. And then once they reopened the doors and started getting people back in, there were problems like with the barcodes on the tickets. Like he said, for the morning session, his barcode scanned. For the afternoon session, it didn't. He had to go to like someplace else. He said he was not alone in that. You know, there were thousands of people who were having barcode problems from Ticketmaster or someone else like that. And as a result, and Coach K talked about this, as a result, the arena was like only a third full at the start of the game. And like the atmosphere just wasn't there. Coach K said, these I guys- noticed this, Jason, I noticed this early in the game and I, 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 I didn't have all this backstory, but it was so weird that, um, that there was like, no, like, you know, whether yeah, no they were there. fans or yeah. Davidson fans or like, I would expect everyone to be in their seats well before this es- game, especially given the fact that like, you know, I'm an Iron Duke. So I was getting those emails about the NCAA tournament tickets and they're basically saying, Hey, if you, if you're not in the top level of Iron Dukes, you're not, yeah, you're, you're, not getting, getting, you're not getting tickets. Yeah. So like literally it was like, okay, our section was beyond sold out. And of course it being in Greenville, we had plenty of people who bought secondary tickets, whatever. So I was like, I know this arena is going to be full of blue at, at the very least. 
And that's a big problem. And, and again, it goes back to the, as you mentioned, Jason, there's two different sessions and they have to kick, you mentioned, you, you failed to mention one thing. They have to kick everybody else out of the first session out of the arena first. Right, right, right. The yeah, new must session be in. Yeah. And that is what took a long time, apparently, is getting people out of the arena because the last game, uh, the Miami game, ended uh, less than 90 minutes before the start of the Duke game. Yeah, so that it was an absolute mess having all that, uh, you know, with the, with the fans trying to get back into the arena. I, I've heard numerous stories from people who, who were really frustrated and, and missed a good section of the first half of this game. I mean, can you imagine how pissed you'd be if you paid, you know, premium prices and you show up and Duke's already leading by 15 and the game sort of in, in the snoozer category. But the other thing we have to talk about, the important thing is there is an ice hockey arena underneath this basketball floor and the condensation on the basketball basketball floor was a major issue. Wendell Moore fell down twice on one play, hurt his hip. Coach K said, you know, and Wendell said, you know, it, it's bothering him, but he's going to be fine. But this is, they got to fix this. They got to fix this. So apparently Wendell Moore slipped twice on one play. Correct. But the injury to his hip happened with the first play of the second half where he also slipped after the steal. He was trying to get back and he slipped again and he landed on that hip. They said he's like, you know, basically what they're basically saying. And Wendell said that he's a gamer. He's going to be ready for Sunday no matter what. But that's a real concern. And, and Jason, we see this in arenas all the time, right? We, we played, I mean, we just played in Brooklyn who, you know, Brooklyn used to have the Islanders until this very year where there has been this issue. But for some reason, it exacerbated itself last night and just during this game because it didn't really happen as much during the Davidson Sparty game, it didn't happen much during the morning session. It might have just been the combination of the number of people that were in the arena caused a little bit of AC and, and the ice and everything to really bubble up and, and, con and form condensation on the floor. But it was a major problem, and, it, and really it rattled our team because after that one play that you mentioned where Dell slipped, he slipped twice in one play. Like yeah. Everyone seemed like they were on skates. They were just kind of tiptoeing because they didn't want to plant their foot in, in, in the fear that they would slip and fall. So there was the next play he comes down, they come down and Cal State Fulton uh, is driving and Jeremy Roach basically has to let the guy go by because he's so afraid that he's going to slip on the perimeter and, you know, twist an ankle or something like that. That's a real serious problem they need to address. Yeah, this would have been, and, and maybe we, we need to talk to Michigan state or, or Davidson fans about what this was like in the second game where it was actually close the whole way. And I know we'll, We'll talk a bit about that game when we preview the Spartans, but uh, it's a good thing for Duke that this game wasn't close because I'm sure we would have heard a lot more complaining about the about the quality of the floor in this one. Yeah, you you I mean you teed it up. If if this had been a one possession game, I would have been flipping out <laughs> over the slipping. You know, it, it was an easy game to watch, so it didn't feel like a big deal. But man, uh, like I said, they've they got to finish this. They got to they got to figure this out and make it so that a the fans are in the arena <laughs> properly and b that the floor the floor is playable because uh, that, that, that should not happen in an NCAA tournament game. And, uh, and God forbid someone gets hurt. That, that would just be, that'd be the worst. Um, it, it would not be fair. All right. So uh, that pretty much wraps it up for our conversation about the game that happened against Cal state Fullerton, number two seed versus number 15 seed expected result, blue devils victory. When we come back from the break, we look ahead up next, the hated, the Michigan State Spartans. God, it feels like we face them every single time we play the NCAA tournament. Duke, Michigan State, Coach K, Tom Izzo, coming up.
back from the break. And it's time to preview what is next for the Blue Devils. It is uh, the Michigan State Spartans. Coach K versus Tom Izzo for the sixth time in the NCAA tournament. That, by the way, is a record. The most common coaching matchup of all time in the NCAA tournament is Coach K versus Tom Izzo. The two guys, they, 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 they're now breaking a record. They were tied with uh, Roy Williams and Bill Self have played each other five times. Eddie Sutton and Denny Crum, a couple guys from my youth, have also played each other five times. But now Coach K and Tom Izzo facing each other for the sixth time. It is, by the way, the 15th, uh, sorry, the 16th time that K and Izzo will face each other all time. Coach K leads 12 to three in all time matchups, but just three to two in NCAA tournament matchups. Um, and we all vividly remember the last time Duke played Michigan State in the NCAA tournament. It was uh, the final game for Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, and the rest of that team that I think all of us thought were going to make the final four, but Michigan State knocked us out in the round of eight. We do not want to see Coach K's career end against Tom Izzo. So, Donald, I come to you first as we do our preview. Like you always do, tell me about this Michigan State team in terms of who they've played and how they're playing. Yeah, so Michigan State this year, they're 23-12 and 12 on the season. That includes, obviously, the, the game last night where they beat Davidson. Uh, they were 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten, which was seventh. So they're not, they weren't necessarily the team that we expected them to be, but I'll talk about where they have been the prototypical Michigan State team that we know uh, and have seen over the years. They made it to the Big Ten tournament semis where they lost to Purdue. And again, I mentioned they, they beat Davidson last night. Their best wins, though, Purdue in the regular season, Loyola, Chicago, UConn, and Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament. And, and their bad losses were to Northwestern. Uh, not necessarily, that's not necessarily a bad loss. Penn State, both of those teams, fairly decent on the year. But here's the thing about Michigan shout State. Out Chris Collins. Just, shout out Chris Collins. Yeah, shout out Chris <laughs> Collins. Like, here's the thing about Michigan State. Take everything else out that, that Jason and Sam are going to talk about. We all, all three of us know this, and you out there know this as well. Michigan State is physical. Michigan State hustles their asses off. Michigan State is always working, and Michigan State will rebound. Those four things are constant, like death and taxes. That we're going to expect that we have to expect that now, while they may be faltering in some areas that they normally excel at, this is a well-coached team. This is a big team. They will come with the qualities you expect from a Tom Izzo led team. Again, those four hustle, physicality, work, working hard, hustle, rebounding. Here's an interesting stat though, Jason, and, and I'm going to use this to lead into uh, your advanced metrics. Izzo is a, is a coach that does not like to bring players back in when they have two fouls. So if we get some of these guys in the foul trouble, again, you have guys like Joey Hauser, who we've heard his name quite a bit over the years. You know, he just went off for 27 against Davidson. If we can get him into foul trouble, he does not like bring these guys back in. Only if you take the total available first half minutes, only 7% of available first half minutes were by a player with two fouls. So the key is outwork them out-hustle them, out-rebound them, and also go right at them. If you get them in the foul trouble, you take some of these guys out of the game, and then, of, of course, he's going to use his bench. He, he's known to use his bench. They got a deep bench, too, yeah. They got a deep bench, but if you get these guys in the foul trouble, it changes the way they have to play because they can no longer be physical. They can no longer dive you know, without abandon for loose rebounds and loose, and loose balls. They have to be careful. And once you take that intangible out of their hands – you're the, you're in the driver's seat. And I think that is how you beat a Michigan state Spartan team. So 
So I want, uh, like you said, I'm gonna get into the advanced metrics very quickly. Um, they are uh, ranked 38th in Ken Palm, Michigan State is. They're 35 on offense, 59 on defense. So a a good, even a very good team, you know, across the board, not sort of great at anything. Um, like you mentioned, Donald, they're they're a good, but not great rebounding team. They're like, you know, ranked around number 100 in both offensive and defensive rebounding numbers. Uh, on offense, they are a very good three-point shooting team. This team hits 37% of their three-pointers. That's like top 25 in the country. But they're not a team that bombs away. Like they, the reason they hit a lot of their threes is they are, um, they only take them when they're open. They only take good threes. They're just 220th in the country in the number of three-pointers they have taken. So this is not a team that's going to shoot a ton of threes. But when they do shoot, they tend to make it. Um, they turn the ball over a lot for a Tom Izzo team. Almost one out of every five possessions ends in a turnover. They're like almost at 20% on their turnover percentage, which is not good. And that's a place they, they clean that up against Davidson. They did a really nice job uh, in, in that aspect against Davidson. Duke's going to need to turn them over. If Michigan state doesn't turn the ball over against Duke, that will be a problem. That's something to watch from the very beginning of the game on defense. Speaking of turnovers, they are terrible at forcing turnovers. If Duke gives the ball to Michigan state, that, that's, that's bad because this is a team that is 330th in the nation, 330th at forcing turnovers. They're good at defending the three-point line. Opponents only hit about 31% of their threes. And this Michigan State team is a very good shot-blocking team. Top 25 in the country at shot-blocking. They have seven-footer Marcus Bingham on the back line defending the, the rim, and he's really good back there, and, and they are a big team. They're the 12th biggest team in Division One. Um, according to Ken Pomeroy, Paulo Bancaro uh, is going to have like six, eight, six, nine guys guarding him the whole time. Wendell Moore, AJ Griffin, who are used to being bigger than the guys playing against them. Not this game. Um, they, 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 they are nothing. Michigan State, they got some smaller point guard guys, but the rest of their team is just nothing but guys who are considerably, you know, big for their position from a from a college standpoint. The one thing about the blocking I think is interesting because, as I mentioned, they're a really good rebounding team. The reason why, as you mentioned, the metrics say that they're a little bit down is that they're a better shot blocking team than they normally are because they have those tall trees. But the key to this, key, key to it is this, pump fakes. Pump fakes go up. They, they literally like try to glory hunt for the block. And if you get them up in the air, then you can go up. And again, as I mentioned, fouls will take them out of the game or at least make them adjust how they play. So if we can get guys into paint, Paul Ben Carroll, Mark Williams, if they can go for pump fakes, they'll get those guys up in the air. They can go up and do their thing. Yeah. So we've mentioned a couple guys by name, but not too much. And Sam, I want to go to you. Give me the players we need to watch out for in Michigan State, whose name's going to be called a lot. You guys both highlighted the fact that Michigan State has a really deep bench. Part of that, as you noted, Donald, is that uh, Michigan is that Tom Izzo uh, is loathe to leave guys in with two fouls in the first half but Michigan State basically plays like a nine or ten man rotation it is very possible that we'll see 10 guys getting getting real minutes uh, tomorrow against Duke which is going to be a, a huge contrast to the way that Duke plays where uh, if Duke is playing well it's really only six guys that play for Duke maybe a C7 you know maybe Joey Baker is the eighth man off the bench um, or, is, or is the third guy off the bench I guess but but Michigan State's got a deep lineup, and and the thing that really stands out about them is the is the amount of time that they've spent with the program and the, and the consistency. Um, so a lot of guys who who stay three four years with Tom Mizzo who tend to get better, and 
And especially relative to other teams in division one, not that many transfers, not that many guys that, that are like Joey Hauser came in after his freshman season at Marquette, where he would have played with Theo John and played for Steve Wojciechowski, which is sort of an interesting uh, nugget from this one. We, we had talked about how uh, if Duke was playing Davidson, that, that Bates Jones might've been the key. Well, uh, both Joey Hauser, Joey Hauser and Theo John were, were teammates once upon a time. Not sure how much that, that makes a difference here, but most of the rest of the guys that are, uh, that are key players for them are experienced multi-year players. Uh, they've got Gabe Brown and Marcus Bingham are both starters. They're seniors uh, who have been on this Michigan State team since they beat Zion Williamson and and RJ Barrett in uh, in, in the 2019 tournament. Um, they've also got uh, Malik Hall is a is a key rotation player who's a junior for them. A um, couple guys who are who are sophomores and and only one freshman that gets major minutes for them. That that's Max Christie who is also a starter but is not is not putting up the the kind of numbers that, that the rest of the team is. Um, we mentioned the three-point shooting. Uh, Gabe Brown and Joey Hauser are, are both pretty good three-point shooters. Obviously, Hauser had had a great night last night against Davidson. Um, and Jason, you mentioned the the bigs. I talked about Marcus Bingham, um, who's who's one of the seniors. He is, he is a load inside. Seven feet, uh, 230 pounds, pulls down a ton of rebounds at both ends of the court. Mark Williams is going to have his hands full with Marcus Bingham in a way that he typically does not have uh, against most guys. When I was looking at, at Michigan State, though, um, one of the things that, that really stood out to me is that sort of across the board, it feels like they're experienced. They have good players. But Donald, maybe I need to, no star. To, There's no yeah, star no, on this team. No star. And, 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 and what I wanted to throw back to Donald is like there are all these games in, in the second half of the Big Ten season where Michigan State, like like you said, they have a couple of good wins. They, they beat Purdue in the regular season. They beat Wisconsin in the, um, in the Big Ten tournament. Both of those were are very high seeds in the tournament. But, but a lot of like 10, 12, 15-point losses to teams that like are, are roughly equivalent to them or, or teams that they like shouldn't have even lost to. They got killed by Rutgers a few weeks ago. Um, so, so what is it about Michigan State that it feels like, you know, as you're sort of doing a, a side-by-side of them, other than the experience, they feel it, it just feels like sort of across the board, they're like a worse version of Duke. They're like a, a pretty good offensive team, a, a not great defensive team, but they have the they, it seems like they have the chops. So what is it that they were they were missing all all during this regular season? They're, they were inconsistent in a lot of areas, but namely, again, a lot of times they they hustle every single game. But when that's gone. At neutralized is a lot of what they do. The physicality is neutralized by a lot of what they do. And I think when it comes to Michigan State, they were very inconsistent. I think Izzo has talked about how he keeps trying to breach to his guys that, hey, you got to be like this every single night. And they just haven't been doing that, especially in the Big Ten, where you have a lot of scrappy teams that can you know, beat you on any given night. Uh, look, they, they've got, like I said, they've got no star. They've got eight guys who average between six and 11 points per game. And, and Gabe Brown, who averages 11 points per game, is the only guy averaging in, in double figures. Uh, it, it's just a team with a lot of different parts. And they the parts fit together pretty nicely, but none of those parts are particularly special. I guess that's the way to say it. Uh, one guy I want folks to keep an eye on, um, Sam, you, you didn't mention him, but uh, A.J. Hogard, um, who's like, he, he had been their backup point guard. They recently promoted him to the starting point guard. Um, he, he is really, he's the engine that drives things for them when he's on the floor. Get this. AJ Hogard is the top assist rate player in the country. When he is on the floor, he assists on 46% of the, 
of the baskets that they make. That is an amazing number. All by himself, he assists on 46% of the baskets when he's in the game. Now, he, he only plays about half the game because because Michigan State is really, really deep and they, you know, they, they sort of sh- share positions with other players. But it, it, it's, uh, I think it would be really interesting if Duke is able to, when Hogarth is in, he was great, by the way, against, against Davidson. If Hogarth is in the game and Duke is able to sort of prevent him from getting them into good, you know, scoring situations, that's going to be a huge bonus for Duke. Uh, it, but the Michigan, they're a tough team to prepare for because there's nobody who you're like, oh, that's the guy we have to stop. Because they got like nine different guys who all do the same thing. Jason, one more interesting note about Michigan State. You had mentioned, I think before the break, that it feels like we play them every year and that and that there are all these these famous matchups. Not as many, like like more than you would expect NCAA tournament matchups, including that that 2019 game. But I was looking back at the at the historical record, and we think that I, I feel like in 2022, we think, man, Duke plays Michigan State all the time. Going back to 2015, we have averaged playing them once a year. Uh, there was only one year in that span, 2016. That's crazy. That's crazy. Duke, Duke didn't play Michigan State in 2016, but every other season since 2015 we've played. And in 2015, we played them twice, most notably in that in that Final Four game where Grayson Allen had the amazing dunk. Uh, so yeah, it's been, it's amazing how often Duke and Michigan state play. Now that's a function of between the champions classic and the ACC big 10 challenge. There are a lot of like chances early in the season for Duke and Michigan state to play, but in the years when they don't play in the regular season, they, they play in the NCAA tournament or maybe they play twice. So, so that was pretty neat. It, It is interesting that sort of prior to that, it wasn't as frequent as it has been this last six, seven years. And, you know, as there's there's two ways this is going to play out duke is going to win this game and tom is always just going to get frustrated looking back at a season where it just feels like almost every game they played against good opponents and, and they had plenty of opportunities they played kansas and baylor both early in the season obviously kansas in the in the acc big 10 challenge but they also played baylor they ran through the the big 10 schedule which is which is tough there's a lot of you know twos threes four five seed type teams in the big 10 but just constant regular like like losing games to teams that that they should be more competitive with. I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Izzo after this season is like, is like, I've only got, you know, one year left in me after after this mess. Um, or he takes out Coach K, which would be not not storybook for us, but certainly a, an interesting um, an interesting end to Coach K's career to have it ended by Tom Izzo, a guy who he's mostly had the um, had the upper hand on, although uh, Izzo has made a lot of progress in recent seasons. Yeah, and I was going to say that when it comes to these two, uh, this is the last matchup that they'll have together. As you mentioned, Jason, K is 12-3 and three against Izzo, but K has lost the last two games that the two teams have faced off in. That AC, uh, that uh, Champions Classic game that was in Cameron uh, a couple years ago, and then the 2019 NCAA Elite Eight, of which I was at. I do not want to repeat that. I know a lot of Sparty fans who are saying they want to be the team that ends Coach K's career. There's a lot riding on the line, not just for this, but for other implications for Coach K, uh, namely milestones that are very, very close. I'm not going to mention them just because, you know, knock on wood. But this is a game that I want badly. As, a, as, as someone from Michigan, I just want this game very, very badly. I hope we come out firing tomorrow. Donald, uh, Michigan State has won two of the last three against Duke. So, so Duke won the ACC Big Ten Challenge in 2020. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which would have been like a few months after the the Zion and RJ team was bounced from the tournament, yes. but yeah, Duke is Duke is one and two in its last uh, in its last three against Michigan State. 
All right, last word on this game. Ken Pomeroy predicts Duke will win 77 to 70. Bart Torvik also predicts Duke will win 77 to 70. And everybody's, you know, all these computers, all these metrics and such project Duke with about a 72 to 75% chance of winning this game. Um, so let's get it done. Guys, before we go, quickly, because we're <laughs> it's a long podcast. And it's only going to be, you know, only really relevant for another 36 hours or so. But we got to talk about the rest of the bracket. The ACC, by the way, five and one so far. Only the conference champions, Virginia Tech, went down after playing great against Duke. Virginia Tech stunk it up. Um, But uh, it gets considerably tougher for the ACC. UNC plays Baylor. Miami plays Auburn. Notre Dame plays Texas Tech. I'm loving Notre Dame, by the way, so far. God, please take out Texas Tech. That'd be great if you did. And, and I, I want to note before we talk about the rest of the bracket, guys, um, there are 105 people in the DBR bracket challenge, the DBR tournament pool. Sam and I are 47th out of 105. Sam, that, we're right in the middle. We're doing That's okay. I'm okay with that. And, and if yeah. Duke wins, then maybe we, we tick up more. But obviously, there, go. there are going to be more people picking Duke in the DBR bracket challenge than there are across the country. Yes. So we're 47th. By the way, we're 59th percentile nationally. So among everyone... In the, on the ESPN pool thing, Sam, we're, you know, 59th percentile. It's not bad, but Donald, Donald is kicking butt. Donald is 13th in the Duke pool and in the 87th percentile nationally. Donald, congratulations, sir. You're doing quite well so far. Hey, day one was great for me. Day two wasn't as great, but uh, I mean, I think I was third in, in the bracket after day one. So shout out to all my, again, all my day ones. They, they took care of business for me. Day one, by the way, this is the second year in a row, I feel like. There were just huge upsets and incredible games, like tons of overtime games and last second shots on day one. And then day two is a little bit like, eh, you know, not yeah, as nothing, much. Nothing quite held up to the to the Kentucky St. Peter's game from uh, from day one. I yeah, will say that Illinois Chattanooga game yesterday was, that was really good. cool. The was only good. reason that yeah, and, and we and we didn't have a chance to really experience it because we were watching our game about the same time. Yeah, we were we were keeping tabs on that game. We were like looking at the you know at the, at the score bug. Um, but, but like you said, Donald didn't get to watch it. And, uh, so don't have as much of an appreciation for what happened to Illinois in that one. Guys, anything else on, I mean, do y'all want to talk about Kentucky at all? <laughs> Poor Kentucky way to, I mean, the, I, I know that the three of us talked about this in our, in our group chat. So this is a, an opportunity to plug for the athletic again, but Kyle Tucker in the athletic, uh, wrote a, 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 I don't know if it was scathing, but, um, but pretty tough. Uh, review of of Coach Cal's performance uh, against St. Peter's, a school I, I was I, I was sort of saying to folks yesterday, um, there aren't that many teams that show up in the NCAA tournament that I just haven't heard of before. I had not, I don't think I had heard of St. Peter's prior to them uh, being a 15, 15 seed in this NCAA tournament. Jersey City, what's up? Um, there's a couple of things I have on this tournament. One, Kentucky. Sorry. Um, that's my that's my thing of Kentucky. Uh, number two, uh, if you picked Iowa to go far, here's a fun fact about Fran McCaffrey that I, I told Jason and Sam via our chat. Fran McCaffrey has never made it out of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Never. And he has been coaching for 40 years. Just going to put that Iowa out to go there. far. <laughs> picked Iowa to go far. I, 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 I'm very sorry that you did not know that stat before they lost in, in round one. And third, I, you know, take the games aside. I will, I will note that I have been dying laughing at at least two commercials that have come out during this NCAA tournament. One, the Grant Hill Marriott Bonvoy commercial with all the mascots is 
by far the funniest thing. Blue Devil, you're staying at the Ritz Carlton. You stay at the Ritz Carlton, the presidential suite, and they all just like get up and leave. That is hilarious. Also, Coach K is in an AT&T commercial uh, about his future plans for after coaching. Um, You may walk into an AT&T store and you may see him and Lily. um, But as of right now, he does not have the job. Uh, They're they're going to get back to him uh, because he is. He said he's not available during the month of March, which I agree with you, Coach. You're not available this month. You got bigger things to do. So I I got a I got a great St. Peter's Kentucky story. So before that game even started, my I have a I have a family you know a family text chat with with all everyone in my immediate family. There are like twenty of us who are on it, and uh, one of my nephews pointed out he sent a photo of him and several of his buddies from his I think it was his seventh grade uh, school basketball team, and he goes, "There's this guy who plays for St. Peter's who I played with." When I was in seventh grade, he goes, uh, they didn't call it. It's Daryl Banks, who, who, by the way, is St. Peter's best player, had 27 points against Kentucky. <laughs> he goes, Dar- you know, the, the, he had like a different nickname. They didn't call him Daryl Banks. But anyway, he said, yeah, Daryl, you know, th- my man, he, he, you know, I played with him. And my brother said after the game, after St. Peter's knocked them off, this, this te- family text chat was going crazy on St. Peter's stuff throughout the, throughout the entire game because people were just – Loving the fact that that a guy that you know we had played with uh, was leading St. Peter's to victory. My brother said that uh, thanks to St. Peter's victory, people who have eaten barbecue at my brother's house are currently undefeated in the NCAA tournament this year. <laughs> so I thought that was amusing. I also wanted Say- to highlight. I know that we're we're loath to give uh, to give credit to UNC uh, ever on this podcast. I don't know if anybody had a more impressive first round performance than, yeah. than UNC had against Marquette. Um, you know, you, you think about when you get the, when you get the eight, nine game in, in that first day of the tournament, it feels almost like a curse. Like it's like worse to be uh, it's worse to be like an eight seed than it is to be a 10 seed because you get the tough first game and then you have to turn around and play. I, and I know that this show is going to come out maybe even uh, like during the, the UNC Baylor game, but man, UNC's uh UNC's prize for, you know, beating the crap out of out of Marquette is that they have to play Baylor next. Uh, and and, you know, if you're looking at first round games as sort of an indicator of of how good you are going forward, Baylor and North Carolina delivered like two of the most uh, prolific beatdown performances of the first round. So that that should be a good game today. Uh, a couple of final notes for people with brackets. Uh, again, we had a six, six, 11, six upset, which is great. Uh, of course, the 12-5, I think there's only been two years of the last 17 where a 12-5 upset has not happened. I'm that picking nothing not but 12 from now on. There was a I'm couple. Th- there was a couple. Well, it, was, exactly. it was like all 11 seeds winning. Yes, three of the four 11 seeds in, in, uh, in the first round are making it to the second round. Yeah, and I believe only one 12 seed did not win a game. Uh, or I'm sorry. Uh, only one, yeah, only 12 won, or only one 12 seed did not win a game, and that was Wyoming because they lost in the first four. Like that's pretty good for the 12 fives. And also um, I wanted to point out for people that the, uh, the, the people who are in the first four only one year, have they not had uh, a team win a game? Shout out to uh, shout out to Notre Dame because they're winning. I picked Iowa or Indiana and I messed up. I should have gone with Notre Dame, but every year, except for one, since they've started the first four with those last four teams in one of them has gone on to win a game. And as I mentioned, like even last year with UCLA, they wrote it all the way to the final four. So look out for Notre Dame. I know I 
I've mentioned this in previous years. I'm not sure that I mentioned it this year in leading up to the tournament. I do play in one bracket challenge with a bunch of folks. That it's a it's it's a pool that's run by one of my college friends, but he's got you know non Duke people in there as well. Uh, a lot of people now actually in this bracket pool where we pick all four of the men's postseason tournaments. Uh, they rebranded the. Oh my the, god! Really? Have I, have I told you guys about this? So no. We pick, we pick the NCAA tournament. We pick the NIT, we pick the CBI, and we pick the recently rebranded TBC tournament that used to be the CIT. I mean, it's a it's a joke. The whole like everyone everyone participating in this, we have a big email thread for it, and everyone's like, "Oh, I was checking in on you know a game between two teams uh, whose home states I cannot identify, but who are playing in <laughs> postseason tournaments." Uh, the thing has to be managed in Excel because because there are no like online bracket challenges for these things. Um, and, and the two lower tournaments, the CBI and, and the TBC also like don't have websites. Um, so wait, 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 they shout don't out Wikipedia. Websites, really? yeah. So my, fr- yeah. So my friend who runs the, who runs the, the pool has like, has like this hilarious, um, he has, he has like a stream of consciousness that he'll share with us an email about how hard it is to figure out which teams are playing in these tournaments because it's like not clear. And, and like, and like teams will just randomly drop out because they'll just decide like, we don't want to show up. So like the bracket will be changing periodically. Um, and they may even change the format of the tournament because, because teams are, are, are not showing up or like, and now there's like, there's COVID. So there's like additional reasons why teams are, are falling out of these brackets in any event. Uh, all of that to say, and by the way, if you want to be included in this next year, just email us dbrpodcast at gmail.com. It's obviously too, uh, I want no too part late. of this. I do not want to be included. <laughs> I'm actually, I think I'm I've actually invited kind of you guys before and you were both like, why, why would I do that? It's no, so I, I think I was like, I don't have time for my own, like for one bracket. Like I literally submit one bracket and just submit it to everything. Well, so I, 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 like, submit, I really have I time submit for that. one bracket, but I, I have to, uh, I have to know a lot about other, about other things too. So yes, I, I use the same bracket across all the, the pools that I join, which is not good, probably not good betting practice, but uh, it's just better for my for my like research and sanity. But I do have to <laughs> do have to read up on it on all these on all these awful teams. All of this to say, one of the things that my friend's uh, pool does that um, that there's that, a point to all this. Okay, go ahead. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the uh, you know if you're joining pools on like ESPN or Yahoo or CBS wherever, they don't force you to pick the playing games. This was the point I was coming to because Donald had mentioned how teams from the playing game always make it to the second round. Oh, you guys pick the playing games? So we have to pick the playing games. Oh yeah, one of the fun parts about this is that all the brackets come out Sunday night and we have to have all of our picks submitted by like Tuesday, Tuesday. afternoon. In previous years it was by Monday because in some in in some years uh some of these lower tournaments have had playing games on the day after, so they'll have like a Monday game. The uh, but we pick all the playing games. So I have a sense going into the into the first weekend like like I would have a distinction um, between uh, Notre Dame and now I don't even remember who, who Notre Dame played in that in that first game, but Rutgers. I would have had to. Yeah, exactly. So so I would have had to make a pick between Notre Dame and Rutgers. So I have like some semblance of a sense for this, but most people picking these brackets are like, well, I can't pick Notre Dame or Rutgers over Alabama. Like, I, I don't even know who's going to be playing in this game. So it feels like kind of silly. Anyway, all of that to say. Um, the, the bracket challenges should force us to pick the playing games and everyone should just get their picks in by Tuesday. It's not like you're not doing this on Sunday night anyway. I agree. I, I agree with you. That, that'd be a can lot I, can I, can I throw one more snarky comment out? Um, and, sure. and hopefully, hopefully Duke doesn't lose to Michigan state 
but um, Alabama lost in the first game. And uh, so Nate Oates is mm. out of the tournament and we think Nate Oates is a dumb jerk. So that's great. <laughs> mm. Funny mm. how that happened. So mm. we've been on for, for like more than an hour and I, we got to be done. But I do want to mention really quickly before we go at seven o'clock last night, seven o'clock Friday night, literally minutes before Duke was going to, to tip off. Uh, Jared McCain, six, two shooting guard, um, ranked in the top 25 uh, by ESPN and 24-7, and everybody else, class of 2023, committed to Duke. We, we got <laughs> John Shire got another. Wait, I completely missed this. You didn't know about it? No, Jared McCain. Yeah. I found out after the game. Like, he literally, yeah, like, right. as as the game was tipping off, he was like, going to Duke. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Game's on. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't looking at Twitter after the, uh, after the game ended. So uh, I have no idea about this. Why don't you guys start talking about him and I will look him up. Well, well, so no, no, I, I'm, what I'm going to say is there's just not time. And frankly, not, I haven't done all the research to tell you everything you need to know about Jared McCain. He is, like I said, top 25 shooting guard, really nice shooting stroke. Another great pickup for, for John Shire in the class of 2023. Um, you know, we've already got uh, Caleb Foster. We've already got Sean Stewart in that class. All three of those guys ranked, you know, in the, in the top 20, top 25, you know, McDonald's All-American kind of players. It's just amazing. I mean, Shire's recruiting is like crazy, ridiculous off the charts. The thing about Jared McCain that I want everyone to know is that this dude is a huge TikTok star. He, he has a really fun personality. He's really funny. I think he's going to be just a, a, a joy to interview and, and to, to watch post-game interviews and stuff like that with. Um, I think Jared McCain is going to be a lot of fun as a dookie. Uh, he's got a, a really nice stroke from the outside. He can shoot from distance. Um, he's also a, a really good passer. Uh, so, you know, I'm really looking forward to having him at Duke. And, and I just wanted to highlight one last thing. I love this quote that he gave after he committed. He said, I'm going in with an open mind, not worrying about minutes played or playing time. I'm just going to work hard, try and get better and find my spot. I'm going to be staying at Duke and getting better every year. That means that Jared McCain doesn't think he's one and done. <laughs> and and I, I love to hear that from the guy. It means he's not coming in expecting that he must be a starter. It, clearly, Duke hasn't promised him anything. Um, he's good enough, perhaps, to be one and done. But uh, I, I just love the guys who, where it actually seems like they might be committed to spending multiple years on campus. If you want me to be the wet blanket here, he's a five-star recruit. Now that I get to look at his, yeah, his 247 yeah, profile, he's a five-star recruit. He also had offers from Kansas and Gonzaga. So this is not like Duke found somebody that nobody else was on. Um, Gonzaga, and, by the way, Gonzaga was the other big, that was his real yeah. other finalist. So we and, beat Gonzaga again. <laughs> and and I know that it's impossible to look, uh, to look a year and a half ahead at Duke's roster and have any idea who's going to be there. But just based on, on the guys we have coming in and the guys who are currently in the program, the guard lineup outside of that class of 2023 is actually fairly thin for Duke, assuming that uh, even, you know, even Jeremy Roach and and even Wendell Moore potentially coming Wait, back. I, I don't I actually I actually completely disagree with you. It is it is possible that in 2023 that Jeremy Roach is, is still there. He would be a senior that year if he doesn't go pro early. Um uh Caleb Foster is, is you know is a top is, is a little bit higher. He's on the team, bit, yeah. Yeah. Um so Caleb Foster, you know, will be there. Uh Jaden Shoot is is almost certainly going to still be at Duke that year. Jalen Blakes is probably going to, I think we are loaded in the backcourt. Uh, I, I actually think it's going to be hard. I, I'm thrilled that Jared McCain is coming to Duke. 
and, and that he has this attitude of, I'm going to have to work for my minutes because I think minutes are going to be very difficult to come by in Duke's backcourt in 2023. Well, these guys are all talented and have high expectations of themselves. So attrition to either the NBA or to other programs is high. Um, I would not be surprised if he's at least a strong rotation player by the time he gets to Durham. Oh, yeah, I expect him to be. I'm just saying we, we're going to have a really, I think our backcourt is in great shape for 2023. It sounds good to me. Let's do it. Also, I, I, just, I just checked because, you know, they usually do the another one uh like tweets out by duke men's basketball they literally did it like sandwiched in between tip off and the starting lineup they're like oh yeah by the way another one like even they were like yeah yeah, yeah." like just just so you know we're aware of it yeah but we have a game so why i i I need to read more (laughs) about this guy what what was his motivation for committing on the day of of duke's first ncaa tournament game did he did he have any comments about that Uh, not not that i've seen i i I think that he had decided he had recently taken visits to Gonzaga and Duke. And I think he decided it was a Friday. So he wanted to do it on a Friday so he could, you know, party and have a good time over the weekend, celebrating the fact that he had committed and the such he, he he's from California. So like we looked at 7 PM and we're like, wait, Duke's starting their game that at that hour. But for him, it was 4 PM. You know, it was right after school's done. So a lot of it, it, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a world where he waits till Monday or Tuesday and, and gets a little more attention. I like the fact that he isn't all about the attention, though. You know, although he is. Jason, a you were just star. talking about how he's a TikTok star. <laughs> he is, he's a content creator. You don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to play him know. up. I don't know. Uh, you don't have to fluff the guy. He's. He, he, it's fine. He likes attention. He's a. He's a top basketball player, and he likes to be on TikTok. Um, it's fine that he likes attention. We like. Like Nolan Smith likes attention. We all love him. I, I'm. I'm making this commitment to Jared McCain and to our audience. All three of us are going to go out. After the NCAA tournament is over and we're going to watch a bunch of Jared McCain TikToks and we're going to have a podcast where we at least talk a little bit about Jared McCain, TikTok star and future Duke star. All is right? this the Unless reason why I'm going to finally download TikTok? <laughs> nope. The best, the best TikToks are on Instagram. The worst TikToks are on Instagram. And the most mediocre TikToks are on Instagram. There or, we go. Or on Twitter. I, 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 <laughs> I, I haven't downloaded TikTok yet. And I'm not sure, Jason, if, if you just convinced me to do it. Uh, I, I, yeah. Uh, if you want to watch it someplace else, you can. I'm sure Jared McCain's social media profile exists outside of the world of TikTok. Guys, we, we, this is too long. We're done. Podcast wrap up. We, we've got to be finished with this podcast. The Blue Devils will be playing Michigan State. We will be back to recap that game and, God willing, preview yet another game coming up for the Devils as we attempt to get to the Sweet 16 in Coach K's final season. For Donald, for Sam, I am Jason. This has been podcast number 404 of the DBR Duke Basketball Report podcast. Go Devils. Beat Sparty. Duke fans, take us home.